You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of the, you know, if you look at our roster, we have, you know, a rider who's 18 and I think our oldest rider may be 35, 36. <laughs> um, but if you look at that, like there are some riders, you know, who uh, they, will, they will say they're getting towards the end of their career in, in the last years, necessary to say this year, but in that in the, they're at the end of their careers compared to being at the start and they they themselves say that they never thought that they would be have the opportunity to race a Tour de France farm so to actually have that opportunity and to see it in their career and in their lifetime as a pro cyclist you know this this window of their of their life as a pro cyclist and have the opportunity to race it I think they you know it's something that's it's quite special because you know five years ago it didn't look like it was ever going to happen even though there were there have been calls for it for the Tour de France fund to come back on the calendar um you know for many years but yeah it, it never really got there and it never looked like it was really going to happen either and then, and now those riders are like okay actually you know here's my chance it's it is happening in my career um and I think also for the younger riders to see the like to see the impact and to see the response from the more experienced riders that have been already racing the peloton and that they're how much they they see that opportunity and to to have the chance to to do it i mean i think there's so many cyclists who get asks ah because the tour de france you know the men's tour de france is like one of the the most or i think it's the most known sporting event in the world so many times if you say okay hey you know what do you do for work i'm a, like a pro cyclist i say you race, you also race like the tour de france and they're like no actually the women don't have a tour de france now i can say actually yes you know we do have one and it's this year and, and i'm going to be a part of it or my teammate is going to be a part of it so yeah it's phenomenal that was beth duria this is marnie salop Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. All right, it is July, which means I am geeking out watching La Tour de France. And more importantly, 2022 is the first year that there will be a Tour de France Femme sponsored by Zwift, which I am really excited about. There are eight stages, 24 teams with six riders each, kicking off on July 24th, and you can watch it on Peacock. Today on the podcast, I am syncing up with Beth Duria, the marketing and communications manager of the rock star women's cycling team, Canyon Shram. To get the scoop and more details on the race, what it means to the team, and on a bigger level, what La Tour de France Femme means to women's cycling. We also talk about how the industry has grown, where it's going, and how Canyon Shram continues to empower women from around the globe with cycling and team opportunities. Beth shares how to go from amateur to professional cyclist 
and also offers career advice for listeners curious about working behind the scenes. We also chat about how Beth got into cycling personally and professionally. I hope you enjoy. Lots more cycling conversations coming all month long. Vive la Tour de France Femme. Now, on to my combo with Beth. What is it like working with the top women's cycling team right now as we are heading into this really exciting moment in history with the women's Tour de France? It's really exciting time for women's cycling now. I've been working in 12 coming on 13 years. So there's definitely been big changes since I first entered into women's cycling and especially in the last few years, like the momentum is just building and building and the anticipation around the Tour de France Femme of X-Swift, um, yeah, is, is phenomenal. So when the, the route got announced last year, there was a lot of hype around it and soon it's so, again, yeah, it's, it's coming around really fast and it's just exciting to be a part of it. And the dates, is it July 24th? Yeah, July 24th through to July 31. So the first stage is, coincides with the final stage of the men's Tour de France. So it's on the Champs-Élysées and then uh, the women's peloton head basically east, southeast uh, across France. And it's broadcast globally. I know people here in the U.S. can watch it on Peacock. Yeah, absolutely. So it should be televised in at least 150 countries, if not more, around the world. So hopefully getting to almost every corner of the globe, um, which, which is great because, you know, obviously the, the live broadcast is is what helps make it exciting and you know, just brings new fans to the sport and, uh, you know, new fans to women's sport and to cycling in general. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's great to see it get that broadcast. And what's what's the road like to get there for these athletes and teams? Like what other races are you doing along the way? And what are some of the what's the process for these women to get on the team for the Tour de France? Yeah, so, I mean, we have 15 riders and only six will be able to race. So we already have, let's say, a, a possible and probables list, basically. So there's some riders that, you know, the, the course really suits them and they have, of course, every rider would like to be a part, but, you know, with the course and trying to get the best results as possible, and we need to choose the six strongest riders for the team. And a lot of riders have already said, you know, it's a highlight on their calendar, obviously. They really want to target it. And so they they look at basically having like a solid off-season, which has already happened now, and then starting into racing. And then some riders will do uh, a lot of racing. Some will choose to do a little bit less so they can do really specific training blocks. And some riders will have altitude blocks of training already um, planned into their program in the lead up, you know, from this, from the start of January or through to July when the race is. So yeah, the, we're right now in like the spring classics as the height of uh, racing season is racing midweek and weekend. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite relentless. So everyone for sure has enough uh, race time. And then, yeah, it's basically just sort of building up to, to July. Yeah. What race was last week? Uh, no, last week uh, on Sunday, we raced uh, Ronde van Vlaanderen, which is known as Flanders, Tour of Flanders. So that's uh, previously, I would say, has been the, if not one of the most uh, iconic and prestigious one-day classic races for women. So it usually happens uh, first week in April, uh, first Sunday in April. And, um, yeah, that's obviously, you know, hills and cobblestones around the Flanders region in Belgium. So 
in that race, we had Cassia Niewodoma, she came eighth, and we had uh, our Australian sprinter, Sarah Roy, came 12th. So, yeah, around Flanders, it's like super exciting. The crowds are fanatical. You know, a lot the cobblestones are insane. Yeah, the cobblestones. Yeah, exactly. The cobbles are, are insane. Uh, and so now, um, basically, the, the team also had a, a race towards Oblanderin during the week and Flanders on Sunday. Uh, and then, yeah, we, we're racing like every weekend in, and Paris-Roubaix will be coming up uh, in 10 days' time from now. And you see the, the cobblestones at Flanders and they, they're yeah incredible and gnarly and then they compare nothing to what the peloton goes over at Roubaix. So... It's pretty crazy, actually. <laughs> I know. And so, and you're also a cyclist. I mean, that was how you got your start working with Canyon Shram. I mean, that's kind of how you got into the industry. So when did you start cycling and how did you get into, you know, working with Canyon Shram? was a physiotherapist and then my, my I did a lot of sport when I was younger um, not cycling at all. I did running, actually, like sprinting, like the Stall Gift, which is an amateur pro um, pro-am race in Australia where you race for money sprinting yeah. uh, and then uh, I studied doing my master's in sports physiotherapy and during that time I was working with someone who was always saying no, stop running it's bad for your knees and going to cycling it's such an amazing sport and I used to say you couldn't you couldn't uh, pay me enough money to wear lycra and ride my bike and <laughs> uh, yeah now like 15 or 13 years later I've got like several bikes and all the lycra and all the matching everything so <laughs> you should never say never basically so yeah I, I started um, working as a physiotherapist and I worked with the Australian Institute of Sport with the, the national team which had a base in Italy so for a while there, I was doing basically six months in Australia, six months in Italy, which was, I would have to say, is living the life I had no winter then. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah which was great. Um, but it gave me a solid like start into, into the sport, into cycling as well. And yeah, as I was working there, I was getting more involved in cycling and it became my sport, you know, cycling when I could, when I was not at work. And I did some races, you know, just in Australia at a national level, really. Never riding for like a pro team in, in Europe because usually I was working <laughs> for the pro team. So, yeah, no time for for riding. And then when did you connect with Canyon Shram? Yeah, so I did uh, three years with the Australian national team uh, and then I went to a pro team which was called HTC High Road and that was in the, their last year, so 2011, and then they stopped after that. And then I worked with another two women's teams um, and then from a team in 2015, uh, Ronnie Lauka and myself and Canyon started Canyon's Ram Racing so, yeah, we started in 2016 and uh, between the three of us, I have a small share, um, Ronnie and Canyon are bigger shareholders in the team, in the management company, basically, that, that manages Canyon's Ram Racing. So we started as a women's team in 2016 when the World, Women's World Tour came uh, became a thing, we yeah. applied and uh, became Women's World Tour team. And now in 2022, actually, we have two teams. So That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Two teams, two women's teams? Yeah, two, two women's teams. So a women's world tour team has 15 riders and then a women's continental team, which has eight riders. And how does someone go from, say, being an, an amateur cyclist to getting on this racetrack and getting onto a team beyond winning the Zwift Academy, of course? Yeah, Zwift Academy, uh, now we've had six winners. So that is one like, totally, completely unique 
talent identification program yeah. um, for, for cyclists, which is you know now really well established. And I think when we started Swift Academy, people weren't sure what we were doing. Um, but now, you know, people who know cycling and also triathlon and running, most people actually know what Swift is and you know yeah. as an online training platform. So aside from coming in as a, a Swift uh, Academy winner, then yeah, a lot of uh, national federations have a pathway, um, you know, from their from their national level through to world tour or pro pro level, um, and sometimes it's just about riders, you know, racing like club and then regional and then their own national level and then trying to yeah get recognised by by teams and get selected and sending out applications. It's a very tough yeah, process, I'm I would sure. say. There's not that many teams when you consider how many people are cycling and how many people have the dream to be a pro cyclist. But that said, we also, you know, at Canyon Strand, we're really proud that we have now two teams and they're only women's teams. We haven't um, yet anyway. We haven't associated like with a men's team. So, yeah, it's basically focusing on on giving women that opportunity to, to turn pro and to make it, you know, to the very top of their sport. And I know you had put forth a diversity initiative so we have a team that christine kalkschmidt who's our diversity and inclusion expert and team development expert so christine came on on board uh, with our team in 2020 and has worked hard with us um, you know we've done a lot of sessions a lot of discussions and chats and trying to work out you know what is or what was the best uh, step forward that the team could do to try to make an impact I mean where as Canyon Stram Racing it's it's always been a very popular team there's a lot of followers very popular on social media you know it has its own sort of brand a lot of partners you know high quality and you know committed partners to women cycling behind it so yeah there, there are a lot of discussions going around you know about what what we could do and the team came up with a, a long-term diversity and inclusion program thanks a lot to the, um, the input from Christine as, as well as all of our partners and obviously the management of the team and yeah and from this we we decided um that actually we thought that the best idea to try to create you know a, a pathway for talented riders from diverse backgrounds, from more diverse backgrounds than what we see now in the women's peloton. Um, the best way would be to set up actually our own development team and that would be registered as a continental team and it would allow riders to have basically a stepping stone from, you know, from their home countries and racing at a national or international level at various parts of the world and give them yeah, give them a chance to be able to show their talent actually on the European stage as well, and which is where the majority of the women's world tour racing happens. Yeah, and that's the second team that you have, right? That's the development team. Yeah, that's the second team. So it's called Canyon Stram Generation, whereas the and Continental team, whereas the World Tour team is called Canyon Stram Racing. And we have, yeah, we announced that we would do it. Thankfully, we had a lot of uh, supporters behind it from in terms of the team, especially Canyon put in. Um, a lot of additional finance into the team to allow that to happen. And so too did our co-title sponsor, SRAM, and also Zwift yeah. um, to uh, basically allow that to happen. I mean, to create a budget and, you know, infrastructure to allow that team come, to come to life. And we made the announcement mid last year, around July, we opened applications a month later and we had 239 applications from 
riders from 62 different nationalities so which was incredible it was like quite overwhelming actually um and it just it showed you know you, you think that there's a lot of talent and a lot of people you know dreaming of becoming world tour or a pro cyclist and then you know open the applications and yeah of course you see it even more <laughs> how many yeah how many I mean that's incredible how many women there are around the world that are interested in this sport and I wonder launching that in 2020 I mean this is in the midst of the pandemic. You know, we've seen an interest in women cycling during the pandemic and an increase in awareness around it. Yeah, absolutely. De- definitely, I think an increase. I mean, women's sport overall, I think, has, is getting more coverage, still a long way to go, but um, is definitely making steps. And I think with the pandemic, it, it, cycling became a very popular sport for a lot of people, not just cycling, yeah. but especially cycling. Um, but yeah, there, there are a lot of women who, uh, who applied, you know, who had already been wanting to, or some, some are new to cycling. Some have been cycling already for many years and racing. So yeah. Yeah, it's quite amazing to see like the number of applications and, and from so many um, different countries and diverse backgrounds. And yeah, it was great to see. And it just showed that, you know, that this team, you know, there is a need for it. Um, And, you know, basically from this team, we want to show that if you uh, have talented riders from, you know, from countries that are underrepresented in the the women's peloton now, and you can give them the support, the same as the world tour team is getting, that they, with that support and with that, uh, you know, reducing the barriers that they have to be able to come and race in Europe, for example, or, you know, race in UCI races, then, yeah, then you can show that they actually also you know, can get to the the top of the sport, and basically that's the point of one of the points of of the team. And so, where are some of your riders now from on this development team? So we have eight riders. So the team is registered in Germany. So we, for this reason, we have two German riders, and then we have uh, Laurie Sharp, who's from Jamaica. Uh, we have Alia Mansour, who's from Malaysia. We have uh, Agua Marina Espinola Salinas from Paraguay. Wow, cool. So, yeah, Caribbean, South America, um, Southeast Asia. And then we have Valentin Zenga from Rwanda. We have uh, Deborah Conte from Sierra Leone. We have uh, Olivia Shililifa from Namibia. And I think I said all eight, did I? <laughs> So that's so amazing. Women's Tour de France is just such a huge, huge benchmark in women's sports and women's cycling. How are the women on your team feeling about this? And, you know, just in terms of being part of it. Yeah, I I mean, I think a lot of the, if you look at our roster, we have, you know, a rider who's 18 and I think our oldest rider may be 35, 36. (laughs) Um, but if you look at that, like there are some riders, you know, who uh, they will they will say they're getting towards the end of their career in in the yeah. last years, necessary to say this year, but in the in the they're at the end of their career as compared to being at the start, and they they themselves say that they never thought that they would be out, have the opportunity to race a Tour de France farm. So to actually have that opportunity and to see it in their career and in their lifetime as a pro cyclist, you know, this, this window of their, of their life as a pro cyclist and have the opportunity to race it, I think they, you know, it's something that's, 
it's quite special because, you know, five years ago it didn't look like it was ever going to happen, even though there were there have been calls for it, for the Tour de France Fund to come back on the calendar, um, you know, for many years. But, yeah, it, it never really got there and it never looked like it was really going to happen either. And, then, and now those riders like, okay, actually, you know, here's my chance. It, yeah. it's, it is happening in my career. Um, and I think also for the younger riders to see the – like to see the impact and to see the response from the more experienced riders that have been already racing the peloton and that they're how much they they see that opportunity and to to have the chance to to do it. I mean, I think there's so many cyclists who get asks uh, because the Tour de France, you know, the men's Tour de France is like one of the the most or I think it's the most known is, yeah. sporting event in the world. So so many times if you say, okay, hey, you know, what do you do for work? I'm a, like a pro cyclist. I say you race, you also race like the Tour de France and they're like, no, actually the women don't have a Tour de France from a Tour de France. It's now, you know, the women that have been having to say, no, we don't have one. Now I can say actually, yes, you know, we do have one and it's this year and or next, you know, it's this year and I'm going to be a part of it or my teammates is going to be a part of it. So yeah, it's phenomenal. It's huge. And it's really, I think, thanks to sponsors getting behind women's sports and bringing this to light. I mean, you would know more about this than I do, but I've just been watching Zwift and I think it's incredible. I mean, I love them. They know it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I think this platform has really been a huge game changer for the sport and being able to sponsor and get behind this event and also support women and you know do their you know the Zwift Academy which we talked about earlier which is you know people can enter to compete and get a spot on a team but also you know I've seen so many other sponsors now getting on board and Mm -hmm. you know if we're talking the business of sports and what it takes to put on an event of this magnitude from all of the money that it costs to do and then then take that risk and then get the visibility. I mean, that's huge. Are you seeing a lot of sponsors come to you to want to be part of your team? Are you seeing new sponsors coming to the table with the women's cycling initiative? Yeah, I think you, we've seen that since the, it was announced that it was going to happen, that it was a lot of attention around it and yeah. a lot of brands that are sort of, let's say involved in cycling or sort of half involved in the women's side of the sport become even more involved now because they see it as a, a huge opportunity. So that just, you know, that just creates like a snowball effect, I think as well. So yeah. um, there's been a lot more uh, media attention, I would say around the Tour de France Farm and like the build up to it and, you know, photographers and videographers and documentaries and, yeah, I just saw Netflix yeah. is going to do a documentary. Yeah, yeah, they're doing one for the France, uh, the men's Tour de France uh, this year, I think, with eight teams. So, but there's, you know, there's also a lot of video makers and filmmakers that are interested in also doing the Tour de France film because you have this history of being able to say, you know, it, it was there many years ago in in a, in a form, and then there was this huge hiatus for reason X Y Z, and now it's here now and what does it you know to be able to showcase like what it means to the cyclists and you know what it means to the sport and how how the sport wants this to be something that's viable for many years ahead 
so yeah there's a huge opportunity as well and just it's created a lot of excitement especially from the media side I would yeah. say as, as well as other brands that see like you know this opportunity because it's uh, it's more I think the women's side of the sport and women's cycling women's teams they're more accessible than what the men's are and so they they see this as a huge opportunity and yeah, hopefully all together it, it grows the Sport. Grew the sport, but also yeah, makes it something um makes the Tour de France from something that's visible all across the world and something that's viable for many, many years to to come. I think women, even if they're not athletes and men, are gonna love it because it's such a cool sport to watch. It's such a cool event to watch. There's so much excitement. I mean, every second is action-packed, and these women that have made the cut to be on these teams are so strong and strategically Mm. like so smart. I mean, it's, it's watching cycling is super fun. It's like, you feel like you're there on the course with the reporters talking about each cyclist, like going, you know, through whatever their path is. It's so cool. Yeah. There are a lot of different stories around it as well. Like how people came into the sport and you know, what they've gone through. I mean, like every sport, everyone has also, you know, comebacks and injuries and 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 different and unique stories like this so I think it's an opportunity to be able to highlight that even more but the fact that it's also like a team sport you know the the dynamics around team sport and team tactics and things like this I think it's it's quite unique to cycling as well. Are the athletes going to have the same jersey and point system? Yeah, yeah. So there's yellow jersey, there's a green sprint jersey, there's a polka dot jersey. So basically identical in terms of all the, the jerseys, which is, yeah, it's, I can't believe, I can't imagine, you know, the the, the woman that puts on the fit, like it's not the first yellow, but let's say the the reintroduction of like the first Tour de France femme of X Swift puts on that yellow jersey for the first time like yeah there'll be a lot of people crying (laughs) I mean this is like a big big deal there was a Tour de France for women event right it was the Champs-Élysées the last day of the men's Mm -hmm. the women would ride but it was only one stage. Now this this time there are eight. So there has been like a one stage, like it was called La Course by yeah. La Tour de France. And that was introduced, we need to check, maybe five, six years ago. And yeah, it was only around Champs-Élysées and then they just made it a one-day race, you know, a climbing sort of um, stage around, sorry, around when the men's tour uh, was finishing. And there's a lot of yeah, a lot of flack that it was only just a one-day race and it was from the ASO that race organisers were putting it on just as like a superficial sort of sideshow to like mm-hmm. appease the, the people who were calling for women's Tour de France fun. Um, and now, yeah, now it's basically, you know, this is the, the real deal. So there's eight stages from 24th of July to 31st. So there was like, a, there was a women's Tour de France in the, in the 80s. Okay. Um, and then it sort of basically died away and went off the calendar. So it's, yeah, it's pretty amazing that it, it's come back on now. And I think the, I think the support, like with a, a sponsor and a brand such as Swift, they're really invested in making this a long-term um, you know, a long-term feature on, on the calendar. Like it, it's here now and it's like, it's back, let's say, and it's back to stay. Yeah. Um, it's really something, you know, after one or two years, okay, then it's, it's gone. So I saw some other, uh, some other sponsors come up. So Strava, uh, they've created, yeah. So they're creating like, um, 
I'm not sure how official their partnership or in what capacity their partnership yeah. is with the event itself, but I know that they want to yeah, create their own sort of storyline on their platform about the race and the riders and the the course and photos from the race and so forth. Yeah, Women's Tour de France Femme, like Tour de France Femme, they have brought on some new partners, you know, new sort of official partners and official suppliers since the since the announcement happened that's so exciting let's talk about the prize purse for women is it similar mm-hmm. to men is it have they is everyone on the same level like how is that going in terms of so i know that the um, the women the prize money for tour de france farm of x swift uh, i believe for total prize money it's two hundred and fifty thousand euros oh, so then cool. that's split okay. yeah across the different jerseys across the general classification the final yeah uh, winners of each classification and then stage wins and so forth so it's not uh, it's not equal with what the men's uh, tour de france gets i believe they're um, closer to well over five hundred thousand. i think just for the winner yeah um and then yeah i, th- I think in total it must be around like three million or something like this maybe yeah. two million so that comes <laughs> with the sponsors and the visibility and the proof of concept and all those things yeah, I mean, the the, the men's uh, Tour de France has been, let's say, around a lot longer. I mean, and it's also over three weeks. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of organisers that are, that are making the efforts to make the prize money equal for their men's and women's races, regardless, you know, they're not going with this argument of, okay, the men's race is 200 kilometres and the women's is only 120. So they just put it as a blanket, like we're offering you know race and this is the prize money is you know 20,000 and this is our women's race and the prize money is 20,000 like the Amstel gold on the weekend I think it's 16,000 for each winner regardless of the distance they do regardless of of everything and I think yeah um, yeah this is the this is the the target basically this and obviously live broadcast is a is a yeah it's It's a big deal yeah I mean and, and I think that I just have a feeling that it's setting the stage for what will come in 2023. Yeah, exactly. Where do the athletes on the Canyon Tram team train and do you ever train in Girona? Yeah, so basically the the World Tour athletes, they are free to live uh, where they like, basically. Okay. They need to, um, you know, come into to the races, which are usually in a normal season, usually we would uh, have races in Australia in January and um, and then the majority of other races are in, in Europe or the UK yeah. throughout the season. And then um, in previous seasons been the Tour of California, which our team has come across to, or the most recent was to, um, Colorado Classic. Um, but majority of the races, let's say this year for us, or all of the races this year for us are in Europe with the exception of China in, in October. So basically, yeah, the riders have an off season. They go home or they go where they want, as far away yeah. or as far <laughs> As, as, as close as home as they like and then we, we had two training camps we had a two-week training camp in Mallorca in January so all of the the riders came um from the world tour team and we have five riders from the generation team who came to that and then they had a week off and then we met again in Gandia in which is on mainland Spain for another training camp and then the race season happens from there so yeah with the world tour riders they they can they choose to live basically where they like and then they train there are like four four or five riders who are in Girona in Spain because yeah. they just they like that as a base it has a little I hear it's amazing yeah yeah it's usually nice weather it was 
it's been raining quite heavily <laughs> the last two weeks, but usually nice weather and it just has a mix of terrain, mountains, hills, flats, uh, and two airports. So yeah. traveling to and from is usually quite convenient. But there's other riders that live in Germany, other riders live in Italy. Uh, we have a British rider who, for one reason or another, I don't understand, but she she loves to live at, um, back in Manchester in the UK where getting her fair share of rainy weather. Yeah. But, yeah, that's by their choice. So. And where are you? Where where are you based right now? So I'm, I'm based in Italy. So I'm in the, yeah, in the, in the south of Italy. Near Castelli? near like cd like all those guys or somewhere else no they're in the north oh, actually in the north. so okay. yeah they're usually around like the veneto area um whereas yeah further in the south in the the boot of italy i mean like in the arch oh really <laughs> where are you yeah. what's the so, uh, yeah it's called matera yeah so it's like two oh 100 miles 150 miles south of naples got it Mm-hmm. Why did you choose to live there? I mean, I know you're from Australia. So yeah. <laughs> what brought you to Italy? Well, yeah, the Australian team had their, or then they still do actually have their, the European base is in Italy, in the north of Italy. And so when I first started working with uh, with that team, with the squad, then I was based in Italy. And yeah, Italy, I think, is the, the country out of all the European ones that's somehow similar to Australia in terms of the weather, probably, um, and just sort of relaxed nature of people uh-huh. and, and yeah so I lived also like I've lived in Bristol in the UK and I've lived in Girona in Spain also for a few years um but yeah then I decided to move back to to add to Italy and so yeah it's a place outside of Australia um that I feel most comfortable with and now I'm improving my Italian that's <laughs> great fabulous, but <laughs> are you still cycling and riding yeah yeah I am I always have a gravel bike the person we're never going to ride now I have uh I had always I had three bikes there at one stage I had a track bike also but I don't have that anymore yeah but yeah have you done track cycling and, too yeah mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed actually because I think coming from like a sprinting running background yes. like the distances on the track you know it's just like short and sharp and over and I had this sort of like explosiveness yes whereas to ride you know two hours on a road bike I was like what yeah and now it's like three hours or four like you just yeah it's completely different Um, and now have you ever done triathlon no because I'm not a good swimmer at all but you're from Australia what yeah I know but inland um I was from a inner town inland so I did uh, when I stopped running and, and took up sort of cycling um then I was like, okay, then I just need to improve my swimming and I can do some triathlons. And yeah, I've got a swim coach also, another physio who was, I was working with. Yeah. Um, and after, yeah, a few sessions, several sessions, we decided it's not going to be my, my sport. Back to you and the team and Canyon, you said that you're an investor in the team and I know that you're the communications person and all the things that you do in your career what are some lessons that you've taken from sport that you bring to your day-to-day work and career and vice versa? So I think, yeah, I mean, when you're, in, I mean, I've always done sport. Yeah. So I think it, yeah, there's a, a lot of different qualities and skills that you learn, uh, you know, playing sport, whether it's an individual or within a team. And I did everything when I was, you know, younger. I did individual running sports and I also did, you know, hockey and netball and, uh, yeah, a, a lot of sports, all land-based, no swimming. Yeah, no. <laughs> but yeah, you, you, yeah there's, there's so many valuable skills, I think, that sport 
just teaches you when you're growing up and you you bring that into your then adult life, you know, like discipline and motivation and teamwork and, yeah, this is like also like this attitude to, you know, get things done or to set a target and, um, you know, to try and achieve something. And that may not necessarily be like the highest uh, bar set it's just relevant to you and it's a goal to you right um, and I think yeah this is something that <clears throat> I really yeah I really enjoy and I try to bring that you know across to yeah everything about my life also you know work but also in, in private as well like you know I think it's great to have something like to aim for or to achieve or be a part of so and I think you have this in sport but then you know you can bring it across into you know outside sport as well and do you have any advice for anyone that wants to get into sort of like the behind the scenes in the world of cycling and, you know, whether it's, you know, getting into communications or getting into being part of a team, like as an investor or building a team, you know, what are some things that, you know, for my listeners that, you know, or maybe they want to sponsor a team, you know, you never know who's listening. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, if you want to sponsor a team, then I think almost every team would be would welcome you with with open arms. It's yeah. just a matter of reaching out to the to that person and but finding a team, I guess, that's right for you. You know, that fits with what you want to you or your brand wants to achieve and be a part of. Um, and people can, yeah, there's so many different ways to get into cycling, and I think. Pre or traditionally it's a lot of like you know mates who know mates and you know you have to have a contact or so forth in the sport but now I think that that's changing and there are people that who who really just prove and show and are really committed and want to be a part of it and super passionate and try several times in different areas like different methods and ways to get into into the sport and then eventually they do and then yeah, it's something that's not like, you know, just a one-time application and then, you know, it didn't work out and then that's the end of it. It's something right. that, yeah, I mean, I know when I applied to to work at HTC High Road, like the first year I applied, like I didn't get the job. And then, you know, I, I went one more year working with the Australia team and then the, the next year then I got an offer to go to work with them. So, yeah, there are lots of different ways, like what would be my best tips or advice just be persistent if you know if something that you really want to do then be persistent and and try to find as many contacts uh, as possible and get as much experience as possible and whether that's in your club level or national level um if possible or even you know if you can get come to to europe there's so many teams that are looking for for help in terms of canyon shram one of our mutual friends is from Super Sapiens, they're one of your sponsors, and I also wear the Super Sapien CGM continuous glucose monitor, and have been trying to biohack my nutrition on my long bike rides, runs, all of it. How have your athletes been finding Super Sapiens, and how has it been a game changer for your training and performance in sport? Yeah, I think it's it's been an exceptional tool to just give a bigger picture and a more accurate picture as well. And to show, I think it highlights like the individuality of each rider and, you know, what works for them in terms of a fueling and and whatnot. And there's, there's been several times I know that the riders have, you know, they've had the sensor on and, you know, they've gone about, let's say like their normal training routine and normal daily routine as well around nutrition and recovery and fueling. 
and things that they thought worked for them, mm-hmm. like <laughs> completely Absolutely. not the case. Yeah, I and love they've that. Made new, yeah. Yeah, and just made like small changes um, and it might just be like a change on timing, not necessarily a change on um, the, like the food itself or the hydration, like the substance itself, just a change on the timing and this impact that it has then on their on their system um, is enough to, yeah, to make a difference. And yeah. so I think it's been, really, yeah, it's a valuable tool to, to show and I think also you can really like nerd out in a lot of the... <laughs> I do. graphs and data and details and so forth but just looking at you know, it's also you can just be a, actually quite a simple tool as well and once you use it and get to understand like how you react you know how you react when you're in a heavy training load block how you react when you're completely like rested yeah. um yeah especially during sleep time and recovery time as well um you know what's happening to your system and I think it gives you a tool that then you match up with like your own personal, like subjective um, input. And then from there, then you can just get this, a more holistic picture and then you can work with that. And also, you know, obviously our performance staff are working, yeah, working with the the data from Super Sapiens as well. So, And especially for women, because like we are just wired so differently. And I know, I think we're also mutually friends with Dr. Stacey Sims. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're connected with her too, right? Like she, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I feel like, Nutrition is such an important part of sport that people don't, I think, you know, over the last few years, I mean, professional athletes always are kind of dialed in, but I think more and more we're seeing just how important this is. Yeah, absolutely. And I know like tracking your, tracking your, your fueling and nutrition and your needs and your training, you know, through your menstrual cycle as well is something, yeah, it's something so, so important for women, Um, you know, for women in general and you know especially for women that are trying to like push their bodies to the limits to perform in sport so it's something you know we really encourage like quite an open communication with the riders and their own individual coaches um because yeah it's just it's so important and then what do you work with who are some of your other sponsors do you have nutrition sponsors or I'm just yeah I'm curious to know what these like top athletes are doing yeah, so we have uh, Martin is our okay. nutrition sponsor. Yeah, and so they're our nutrition uh, partner. And when they came on um, with the team, like we actually noticed like quite a significant difference in the fueling of riders within races. Okay, you know, making sure that they're actually taking on enough fuel um, for the race. And also, you know, a lot through a lot of the stage races, like they do the the Giro d'Italia Femminile uh, in July. It's like ten day stage race, which is the longest stage race for women currently. And there were so many riders, like you know, in a stage race after three or four days of like consistently using, you know, processed like bars and gels and so yeah. forth that their stomach just doesn't handle it and then add in the heat as well. Um, and you know, those same riders now that have been using Morton um you know in the same like 10 day stage race they just have no gut issues as at all so yeah that definitely has has made a a positive impact on on the team we also work with uh, core which is a core body temperature sensor so it's the first uh, sensor that 
yeah, it's the first sensor that senses your core body temperature um, externally. So when the team was working, um, was racing the Doha World, World Championships, road cycling world championships in Doha uh, in 2016, we partnered with a, a lab down there and riders basically had to ingest like a pill because they were racing in like 40 plus degrees um, Celsius temperatures. Okay. Yeah. So yeah basically you had to like ingest a pill if you really wanted to understand what your core body temperature is whereas now this yeah with the core it's like basically a it's a small sensor that you just attach to the side or on your heart rate strap and, and then it, it gives you like lifetime real-time data comes up on the rider's garmin computer um you know what their core is and what their core temperature is and it's also something that they find is really interesting because they think you know you think okay i'm in a cold environment or I'm training in the cold so I need to wear like a lot of clothes and because you know I'm feeling cold but actually their core temperature is like really high because I've overdressed yeah really and and vice versa you often think that sometimes you have like you know super hot conditions and the you know yeah there's some things that you can do actually really quite quickly and yeah. your core temperature come down so you know pour some water over you or take a drink or stay hydrated or yeah, so I think this information has also yeah been really valuable for the team. That is, that's like invaluable. Mm -hmm. So many athletes suffer from this. It's like a bonking because you can't turn it around. Like once you're too high, that's it. So it's really yeah, that's exactly. really amazing. Yeah, and it's also really interesting to see. You know, it's a um, it's a sensor that you can wear like. 24 hours a day. So it's also interesting. There's a couple of riders that have been using it like consistently and seeing like what core body temperature changes there are also in your menstrual cycle because yeah. it does change. Um, and yeah, it, and it's also, again, it's so individual from, you know, from one female to another. So yeah, really interesting. Yeah, there's so many exciting pieces there. What do you do for hydration? What products do you use? So yeah, we also use Martin for hydration. Yeah, so it allows like a, a high amount of carbohydrates in the in the race or training. So they put it in their water well. bottles. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, it's a powder that goes in there as well. I've been using their products in my water bottles on the bike. It's been good, and um, they have fructose in their gels, which is totally different than any other gels. So that's interesting to yeah. be able to digest that super quickly. Yeah, it's really interesting there the technology behind it and yeah i mean as i said a lot of riders get along really well yeah actually with, uh, more with it which is great yeah maybe the other one is like ergon because um the team has partnered with ergon uh, they're our saddle partner since the team started in 2016 mm -hmm. and basically they they're based in Coblins, which is next door to Canyon, mm -hmm. um, which is our bike brand. So, but Ergon partnered with the team with the aim to create their first ever women's specific road saddle. So they came mostly from mountain bike uh, saddles, mountain bike grips and so forth. Um, you can tell I'm not really a mountain biker when I say grips and so forth. Because I don't know anything about mountain bike. Everything into yeah. And so, yeah, but totally. basically, yeah, so they, they, um, yeah, that was that was the goal of the partnership and, and why they started with the team. And we did a lot of like pressure mapping um, and feedback and testing prototype saddles and so forth and arrived, uh, yeah, to Ergon's like first ever women's specific road saddle, which is hugely um, popular. But they're like 
yeah, they're a partner that they also understand, like, you know, the women's anatomy, women's individuality as well. And it's that, you know, they've done a lot of pressure mapping with riders and there's there's two or three riders that just from the pressure mapping and where they sit on their position on the bike, that they just know they're not going to fit on their saddle. And mm-hmm. then those riders are free you know, to choose their own saddle brand that works for them. And I think this is really unique because most brands and companies say, okay, we sponsor a team and like it's a hundred percent blanket coverage, but a saddle is such an important touch point to the bike that if you didn't get along with it, it just causes so many issues. Um, And yeah, I think true. I never think about that, but it is like such a game changer for your ride. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just overall (laughs) enjoyment of cycling. Yeah. And let alone, you know, for these, the women that, you know, doing like 30 hours or so um, training on their bike each week. So, yeah. So I think this, there's a lot of riders, you know, that now use like the Ergon SR women's saddle, which is a road saddle that just swear by it. It's again, not fitting for everyone, but the majority of our riders on the team do ride it and like have gone from always having pain or being uncomfortable or issues or saddle sores and so forth to now like, yeah, I'm just, I sit directly in the middle. I never sit now to one side. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, they don't have the, um, you know, those issues. So, and I know like the team, you know, we talk about it from time to time as well. Um, And there's a lot of women that have then, you know, tried the saddle and then sent a message to our Instagram saying, oh, thank you so much because now I found a saddle that works for me. And it's not something like, you know, it's not to say that it has to be an Ergon saddle, but I think it's just pointing out the fact that people should just keep find, keep trying a saddle brand until they find the one that works for them. How do you spell it? <laughs> uh, Ergon, so E-R-G-O-N. Okay, cool. Most importantly, the Canyon bikes. They are so <laughs> cool. I love them. Yeah, so beautiful. The colorway also. The colorways are great. Yeah, so this is, um, I mean, Canyon are our bike brand uh, partner and, you know, they do direct. So they also have Canyon North America and they they have several offices around the world also in Australia and then majority of their um, headquarters is in Koblenz in Germany. So, yeah, right, people can go on the website and look through the different models and colour options and so forth and buy it. And I think, I believe you still get a 30-day, you know, trial at home okay, cool. um, yeah. and then you can you know send it back if it doesn't work for you um or obviously if you're in germany or or around like where the um, where the offices are then you can go and like do a test run as well so yeah. um the, uh, 2022 colorway is not available yet but i do believe that in the future they will make um a model with that colorway which i'm sure will be very popular yeah <laughs> but we have yeah, it's always great to see as well, like, you know, people that have bought like the the team colorway in previous years and, you know, still riding around and it's like, yeah, it's sort of like quite this, yeah, it's a nice moment to see people, yeah, riding like the, the team bikes and, you know, still representing. Yeah, I definitely love the Canyon bikes. The frames are great. The colors are awesome. Like the mm-hmm. design. How can listeners dial in to the Canyon Shram team activities and also support women's cycling? Yeah, I think like if people are, you know, following like at WMN Cycling, which is Canyon Shram team, the two teams um, on their social and also just, you know, being involved in women's sport, like being, you know, someone who's sharing about women's cycling or, you know, logging on or watching like like a live race because every viewership every number that increases has an impact at the time but also an impact in the future so sharing the news and sharing the the love around the sport yeah awesome this has been so great Beth thank you for being on the podcast 
Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, 